You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Well, welcome to Creekside. Great to see everybody. I'm John Bruce, one of the pastors here, and it's July 16th, and I think summer has finally arrived. Yeah. And uh, what were we waiting for? This is sweater weather in Bakersfield. uh, (laughs) So I'm pretty comfortable, but uh, it's hot. It's great to see everybody today. You know, in the book of Job, there's really two stories. One is the story of Job, and the other is the story behind the story. Why the story of Job happens, and we get just a glimpse of that at the beginning of the book. It takes place in heaven, and Satan appears before God, and God says, have you noticed my servant Job? There's no one like him in all the world. No one fears me and turns away from evil like he does. But the devil says, well, of course, Job fears you. You've put a hedge around him and his family and everything he does. But remove that hedge and he'll curse you. And God says, well, let's see. He's in your power. Just spare his life. And the next day is the worst day of Job's life. He loses his family. He loses his herds. He loses his property. And yet, by the end of the day, after disaster after disaster hits him, he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And he continues to trust God. The scene shifts to heaven. Satan appears before God, and God says, have you observed my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him who fears me and turns away from evil, even though you incited me to ruin him without cause. And Satan says something that is very relevant to what we're going to be talking about this morning in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Satan knows us. And he knows there's nothing more precious to us than our health, our appearance, and our life. And those are sometimes the greatest tests of faith. God says he's in your power. Only spare his life. And the next day, Job breaks out with boils from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. And the actual story of Job begins right there. Do you have fears about your health? If you don't, you will. Because <laughs> there's an expiration date on every one of our bodies. And nobody gets out of here alive. And things are inevitably going to go wrong. And the question is, how do I walk by faith in the fact that I'm going to live forever when I'm attacked with the temptations to fear and to panic because of what's going on in my body. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's pray. 
Thank you, Father, that your love never ends, that you love us as much today as you have loved us for all of eternity. I pray, Lord, that you will give us wisdom in your word to understand how the truth about our lives and how we're to live in light of our coming resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is addressing a problem in the church. Many of the Corinthians, because they were Greeks, were still thinking more like Greeks than they were thinking like Christians. And their thinking was shaped more by Greek philosophy than it was by the Bible. And, and the Greeks believed that, that anything material, anything physical, was evil by nature. And everything spiritual was good. And therefore, death was the release from the prison of our body into a pure spiritual existence. And so while they had no problem believing that Jesus rose from the dead, they had a lot of questions about them rising from the dead. Why would, why would God imprison me in this corrupt body for all of eternity? And so after Paul explains how Christ's resurrection is the foundation of our faith, and because he rose, it's a guarantee that we will rise and that the Christian life is impossible without faith in your resurrection, he now talks about what kind of body we'll have. That's, I, I uh, entitled this Your New Body. I know that sounds like a Weight Watchers commercial, but <laughs> it's the only, only title I could think of. So. Because this is what this is about. This is about the new body. We'll, have, we'll all have new bodies, and now we're going to find out about them. That's the question that people have. Let's look at verse 35. But somebody will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? These people had real trouble thinking of themselves. They had no problem thinking that they would live eternally, but what form will I be in? And that's kind of the way I find most people today in our secular culture still believe that they're going to continue. That some people believe we'll come back as somebody else in this life. Some people believe you'll be a pure spirit or an angel. Um, uh, but nobody's really sure what we'll be like. And that was the problem there. What if you're cremated? What if you die of some horrific disfiguring disease? What, you know, what if you're blown up? I mean, how's that all going to work? What kind of body will I have that's raised from the dead? And that's the question Paul's going to answer here. And Paul answers in kind of an interesting way. First Corinthians 15, 36, he says, you fool. Now, that doesn't sound like, well, maybe it does sound like Paul, but, but that doesn't sound like, like if, if you were asking me questions, I said, you fool. Yeah. <laughs> That would probably hurt your feelings. Why, why, is, why is Paul so insulting? And I think the idea is here that the people that are asking this question, they're not, it's not a sincere question. It's not like, well, I need to know the answer. It was like, I already know the answer, and what kind of answer are you going to give Paul? And, and we've all talked to people like that, you know, people who've already made up their minds and will tell me what your answer is, Christian. You know, and, and uh, it's like people say, there, there can't be a miracle because... Natural law is never broken. 
and therefore there can't be a miracle. Of course, if a miracle, there was a miracle, it proves that natural law can be broken. So that's why Paul says, you fool here. You're not thinking straight. And he answers their question, what kind of body will we have? That's the question here. What kind of body are you and I going to have in eternity? That's the question. And he gives two answers. He gives one answer just from the natural world, from the world of nature. It's not a proof. It's an illustration that this is the way God works. And that's what he's going to do. And then he goes to Scripture and shows what Scripture teaches about all this. So why Paul knows that we will have a body, that we will spend all of eternity as physical creatures on a physical world that's been remade exactly what God created to be. That's where we're going. Does that make sense? Well, if you know that, then we can stop. Let's just... Let's... First, Paul argues from nature. In nature, death is never the end. That's his argument here. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow a seed, what happens? The seed dies, but that's not the end because the seed comes back in another form, in the plant that it creates. Its life has not ended. It's just continued in a different form. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. The seed dies to produce the plant. Life goes on. And the seed doesn't look anything like the plant. But it's the same life going on and on. The plant will produce more seeds, which will produce more plants and produce, and, and, the, and it repeats the process. Paul's point is that in creation, we can see that death is not the end. That death results in life, which results in death, which results in life, and God keeps it all going. The seed dies to become a plant, which produces more seeds and repeats the process. The seed looks nothing like the plant, and yet it shares the same DNA with the plant. A wheat seed does not become a watermelon. It will always produce wheat, right? That's the idea. And this is true throughout nature. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another of fish. Scientists tell us that amino acids are the foundation of life. And every form of life has its own unique combination. Even identical twins, everyone is unique. And that's why Paul says everything has, every kind of flesh has its own. So don't you think, Paul says, don't you think that God is capable of creating so much diversity in how life is expressed in this world can give you a body in the next. That's his argument here. And the same thing is true throughout the universe. There is also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one and the glory of the earthly is another. There's a glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. 
Paul says there's a glory to the sun. It, it's, it's bright. It produces its own energy. There's a, a different glory to the moon. It reflects the energy of the sun. When I was in college, I had to take uh, a science, and uh, I didn't want to have to work. So <laughs> I didn't take botany or biology or chemistry. I took um, astro astronomy, astrology. All right. I took a. <laughs> I took astronomy because uh, I thought it'd be the easiest, and it wasn't. And uh, but one thing I learned, I didn't know, I didn't realize there was such a variety in the universe. There are red giants, huge red stars. There are blue dwarfs, tiny, bright, blue. every color of star. Every size of star, there's just such variety in, in the universe. And so again, Paul's using, he says, in this world, outside this world, there is great variety, and God creates them all after his, doesn't, don't you think God can take care of your body? Paul's point is, in this world, outside this world, there is a great variety, and each kind has its own glory. Now he analogizes that to the resurrection. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Life continues in the resurrection, but in a different form. Resurrection bodies are different from natural bodies. And we can see that in Jesus. Remember with Jesus, when Jesus rose from the dead, people recognized him. His body was similar to the body he'd had here. He, uh, he said, touch me and see that I'm not a spirit. For flesh and bone, uh, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Put your fingers in my wounds, in my side. Jesus ate. Jesus talked. They recognized him. So Jesus was like his former body, but he was also unlike his former body because he could walk through walls. He could appear. He could disappear. He could fly. He could, so, so he was a physical body but he was also a spiritual body. And that's what we'll have too, Paul's point there, is that our body will be like Jesus' body. How do you know you'll have a resurrection body? Jesus has a resurrection body. We'll talk more about that in a minute. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. When our body dies, it decays. When our body is raised, it will never perish again. It, it is uncorruptible. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Have you noticed there's no good-looking corpses? <laughs> and yet, as C.S. Lewis says, even the... the the smallest Christian, when he's resurrected, will shine with such beauty and such glory that if we were to see him or her, we would be tempted to worship them. It is, it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. You know, you think about some of the most powerful dictators in the world. Once they're dead, you're not afraid of them anymore. You know, they're just kind of laying there. They're just like any other corpse. Yet the power of God is most clearly seen in raising the dead and, and his victory over death. It is sown a natural body, 
It has raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And this is what get, would get the Corinthians. This is like Paul saying there's such a thing as a square circle. Because in the Corinthians' mind, spiritual and body are two completely different things. You see, you can't, how could there be a spiritual body? And that's because they think of the material world as evil because it's material. The spiritual world is good because it's spiritual. Paul says those are the wrong categories. And we're going to see why in just a minute. Paul now turns from analogies from creation to proofs from the scripture. How do you know that, Paul? How do you know that we will be raised in a physical body? And here's what he says. This is so different from what we believe. He turns to scripture. So also it is written, and he quotes from Genesis 2-7, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. God created the first human as a living soul inside a physical body. And he said, it is good. The soul was good. The body was good. Something, just because something is physical does not make it evil. Because everything God created originally was, was all good, right? That's why he says there can be a spiritual body. Because physical is not evil. Spiritual is not good. It's good or evil in and of itself. Adam and Eve were created in good bodies with good souls, and they could have lived forever if they had trusted God and eaten of the tree of life which was in the garden. That was all they had to do to have eternal life was to eat of that tree. But when they rebelled against God, God immediately expelled them from the garden of Eden, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever in separation from God, like the devil. Does that make sense? So something is physical doesn't make it evil. It's evil because it's got sin in it. And when Adam sins, he passes on his separation from God because of the sin and his sin-laden body to us. So that when we're born, we're born separated from God and in sinful bodies like his. Does that make sense? Our body's not evil because it's physical. Our body is evil because... Sin dwells in our body. And I don't think anybody here would disagree with that, right? Good. The last Adam became a living spirit. Who's the last Adam? Who's the last Adam? Jesus. Why is Jesus called the last Adam? Because he is the beginning of a new human race. God is starting over and creating the children of God, creating people who will live forever in a new heaven and a new earth. And that includes all of you who put your faith in Christ. Jesus is the first Adam. He is the first man of a whole new human race. He became a life-giving spirit. Why a life-giving spirit? Because... The way you become a Christian is by putting your faith in Christ. He comes into your life as 
a life-giving spirit and gives you life. You now have eternal life because your spirit is now in union with Jesus' spirit. That's why Jesus said, he who believes in me will never see death. You ever thought about that? You and I will never see death. Death is not the end. Death is just a transition. That's why Paul says to live is gain. I mean, to die is gain. That you will not see death because Jesus will not leave you. He will take you to the next stage. Does that make sense? So he's a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man, Adam, is from the earth. He's earthy. The second man, the second Adam, is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. As is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we've borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. That's how I know I will have a new body. Just as Adam was, I am. Just as Jesus is, I will be. Does that make sense? Because I've been born again. I put my faith in Jesus. Jesus is now in me. And he will complete the process of not only giving me a new spirit, but giving me a new body to go with it. That's Paul's point. One follows the other, and we're in the midst of that process. So what kind of body will we have? Like Jesus, our body will be like Jesus' body. You read about Jesus in the resurrection, that's the kind of body you and I will have, which would be pretty cool, I think. So how does Jesus' resurrection affect the way I live my life today? Before we can talk about health and dealing with fears for our health, we need to understand who we are right now. We're not completely saved. We're saved, but we're not completely saved. We haven't seen the end of it. And I want you to look at a, at a passage in Romans chapter 8. Paul, John says we are children of God, but it has not yet appeared as what we shall be. And so we're kind of in a in-between. We're saved, but we haven't seen all the effects of salvation yet, right? Romans 8, 10 through 12. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now think through this with me. Is Christ in you? Okay, Christ is in you. Then who are you according to this verse? If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Who are you? I am a righteous, eternally alive spirit living in an old, dead body. So I'm not the person I used to be. I look the same on the outside, but I'm brand new on the inside. Does that make sense? So when you die, what happens to you? What will happen to you the instant you die? You'll go to be with Jesus, right? Because he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So the minute you die, you're with him in heaven. 
What goes to heaven? Your living, righteous spirit. That means you're fit for heaven right now. This is pretty amazing. You are fit for heaven. What doesn't go to heaven? Your body. Why doesn't your body go to heaven? It's mortal. It's indwelt with sin. It's not fit for heaven yet. Does that make sense? That's who you are. I'm a new creation living in the same old body. And sin still lives in this body and is trying to reign over this body just like sin has always done in my life. So what's changed? The person in the body hearing sin's commands is no longer the slave of sin but the child of God indwelt with the Spirit of God. My body hasn't changed. Sin hasn't changed. I've changed. Does that make sense? And that's why Paul goes on to say, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. One day, Christ will give us a brand new body. In the meantime, as long as we're in this body, he gives us the power by his spirit to conquer our body and live the life he wants us to live. Does that make sense? That's yeah, he, he gives life to our body today. So then, brethren, verse 12, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, that is the sin that dwells in our body, to live according to the flesh, for if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. Now, when we think of death, we think of death once, right? Death at the end of our lives. But when the Bible talks about death, it's talking about the ruin of sin, social ruin, psychological ruin, physical ruin, cultural ruin, financial ruin, all the ruin that sin does. And Paul says, if as a Christian, as somebody who has Jesus living in them, if I live following sin, I will bear the consequences in this life. If I'm a jerk to my wife, try to control my children, my wife and children won't like me any more than any non-Christian who does that, even though I'm a Christian, right? If I, if I drink too much, my body will suffer the same effects as a non-Christian who drinks too much. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. He who sows the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. He who sows the spirit will from the spirit reap life and peace. And so Paul says, God's given you the power to obey Jesus or to sin. And you will bear the consequences. You'll still go to heaven if you're saved, but you will bear the consequences here if you live according to the flesh. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do I experience the power of God's spirit? According to that. Putting to death literally the habits of the body. 
by the power of the Spirit. Who puts those habits to death? Read it again. Who puts those habits to death? You do. You do. And you do it by the power the Spirit supplies. I used to think the way God freed me from sin is I would confess my sin and feel bad, and then I'd say, God, please take away the sin. And then the sin came back, and God didn't answer that prayer. So I'd confess the sin, I'd feel bad, I'd say, God, please take away this sin, and nothing happened. And I finally realized that God wanted me to do something more than confess. He wanted me to put that sin to death, to resist that sin, to say no to that sin, and yes to God, to break that habit that sin had over me and to build a new habit of righteousness. And so the next time this sin tempted me, I said, no. And to my surprise, I suddenly found I had the power to follow through on that. And the next time that sin tempted me, I said a little more confidently, no, and it went away. And I found the more I said no, the weaker that old habit became and the stronger the power of the Spirit came in my life. It's like Israel taking over the land from the Canaanites. God said, you have to fight for every foot of land, but I'll do the fighting for you. Oh, good. Well, we'll just stay in camp and let you do that. No, you have, to, you have to march out. You have to attack. You have to swing your sword, but I'll give you the victory. In fact, I'm not going to give you the victory all at once. I'm going to give it to you little by little so you learn to depend on me, so you learn to trust in me and work with me in my power. That's the way God works. We have to be involved 100%. As I'm, and as I'm involved 100% and I say, no, I'm not going to do that, God steps in and gives me the power to fulfill that. And as I say, yes, I'm going to do this, as soon as I say yes and take a step to do that, God gives me the power to do it. Does that make sense? If you, by the Spirit, are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So obedience to God is absolutely essential to experiencing the power of his spirit to give life to your mortal body. Now, let's talk about the fear of death. At 75, um, I'm thinking a lot more about my health than I used to. Most of my friends my age are experiencing the mileage <laughs> on their bodies. And uh, thing, things are going wrong. The good health we assumed is vanishing. We all have aches and you know the hardest thing for me is not the bad health I go through. The hardest thing is you know when you have a pain and you don't know what it is. It's the fear of the unknown, and I immediately assume, oh my gosh, this is cancer. <laughs> this is heart disease. This is high blood pressure. This is dementia. This is, you know, I, until I know what it is, I'll worry and worry and worry. We all fight that, don't we? Remember what the devil says, skin for skin. Everything a man has, he'll give for his life. And, and the worries about our health are one of the big ways the sin in our flesh produces death. So how do I handle the 
temptation to fear for my physical health. To, to go through the very, I've, I've got a passage how Paul, because Paul knew he would, would live forever, because he knew he was going to rise again, because he knew God was going to give him a new body, how that changed the way he looked at health. And this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll, we'll end with this today. Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't get scared. We don't lose our courage. We don't think, oh, the best days are behind me. My life is winding down. Life will never be great. Oh, I've only got to just hang on. I guess I'll just eat more. Our vacation more or something like that. You know, that's, we don't do that, he says. We don't give in to this. But though our outer man, that's our physical body, is decaying, yet our inner man, that's the new man, the real us, is being renewed day by day. So Paul's focus isn't on what's happening to his body. Do you see that? He says, my body is decaying. Nothing's going to change that, but that's not where my focus is. My focus is on my new man who God is renewing by his spirit day by day. I'm getting better and better, and it's pretty exciting. What about all those aches and pains, Paul? What about all the things you can't do anymore? For momentary light affliction, that is the decaying of my outer man, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Paul isn't looking at what am I going through. He's looking at what am I going through is producing in me, is producing things in me that I could never have. I'm looking at the eternal effect, these momentary light suffering is producing for me. It's, it's, there's a purpose for this. Paul believed that his body was temporary and it was wearing out. But he focused not on that, but on the things he couldn't see. That's why he says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are not seen are seen are temporal, but the things which are seen are eternal. And that's the choice we have to make. Am I going to look at my life in light of this life? Am I going to look at my life in light of the next life? A person who believes they will rise again, the person who believes they're going to live forever, is going to see our life now in light of the great adventure God is preparing us for and how this is contributing to that, is laying up weights of glory. I was listening to... Um, a, a, a podcast by Tim Keller yesterday, one that was recorded in 2020, shortly after he learned that he had um, pancreatic cancer. And the podcaster asked him, you know, how have you responded to this? And he said, well, he said, I prayed to God and I asked him how I should see this and one word came to my mind and it was the word sanctification and God showed me that I need this 
in order to get closer to him and depend more on him than I have in the past. And so the last months have been wonderful because it's cleared away so much useless stuff. He said, up until now, I've just kind of been a good guy, and if people want me to do something, I did it. Want me to write a book? Oh, I'll write a book. Want me to come speak at your conference? I'll come speak at your conference. But now I realize that I'm going to die of this maybe in a couple of years. He, it was three years before he died. And he says, it's brought a wonderful clarity to my life on what God wants me to do in the remaining time I have left before he takes me to heaven. So what he said is this momentary light affliction is producing for me a great wealth of glory because it's drawing me closer to God than I ever was. And it's focusing me on doing the most important thing I can do. And for me, that was a great illustration of, of, of realizing the blessing of what we normally would call a curse. Let me give you something practical here. Two things. When you're tempted to fear for your health, you do two things. One, thank God. Thank God. For momentary light affliction is producing for me an eternal weight of glory. God is making you richer. God is giving you something that you're really going to treasure one day. Thank God for it by faith. Now, don't worry. Thank God that I need this. And then ask, what is God developing in me through this? Just like Tim Keller asked, what is this, what am I supposed to learn here? And what you'll find is that God will begin to show you that he is changing you. He is helping you to put to death the deeds of the body. He is freeing you from sin through this, this thing. Everybody loses their health. Not everybody benefits from the loss of their health. Does that make sense? Only those who believe that they'll live forever, only those who believe that this is not the end. See, the great thing about the resurrection of Christ is that every enemy will be defeated. Amen. That he'll wipe away every tear. That he'll right every wrong. And that when we stand before him in glory, we will be so happy that he did exactly what he did in our life. Because we'll see, he did work all things out for the good. He did know what he was doing. And really, that's the difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian. Being a Christian is giving up the right to run your own life. Giving up the right to judge whether things are right or wrong. Giving up the right to get your way. And trusting God completely, knowing he loves me so much more than I love me. And he knows what I need to get me where he wants to go so that when I reach eternity and stand in his presence, I will say, you did all things well. If you're not a Christian, 
really is just getting off the throne of your life and saying, I am not capable of running my life, Christ is, and asking Jesus to come into your life, forgive your sins, and make you the person he wants you to be. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the hope of eternal life. Thank you for the new body we'll have, the new environment we'll live in, all the great things you prepared for us. Help us to walk by faith in that now so that we can be prepared for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.